Good Saturday, everyone, and welcome to part four of Goth Angel Sinners, the only podcast about anarchy, anarchists, and anarchism, and not about little peep. I'm Leland. I'm Chloe. And I'm Matt Trubot. Today, we continue the tradition of not being a history podcast by talking about the Paris Commune in 1871. That's, um... Yandex is now the official search engine and browser of Goth Angel Sinners. Yandex, please sponsor us. I, I, I don't know what Yandex is. <laughs> it's the official search engine and browser of Goth Angel Centers. What more do you right, need to know? I don't know what it is. Um, At least one third of us have no clue what that is. How can it? <laughs> anyway. Official. I don't make the rules. I just write them. <laughs> One of the rules Trevor also wrote was that uh, a French Revolution should happen. And in 1848, the February Revolution, France ended their year in the establishment of the Second Republic, whose first president was Napoleon III, who in 1851 conducted a self-coup, which resulted in the establishment, the establishment of the Second French Empire. Yeah, that happened. Um, apparently, one of the reasons Napoleon III wanted uh, more power was for uh, universal male suffrage, which is super woke, not an MRA thing. Uh, <laughs> and uh, this will begin our first in a many long list of instances in which they did a lot to uh, not do anything for women whatsoever. <laughs> Also, uh, Marx wrote about it. Yeah. Because why not? France is incredibly on board at this period, and it absolutely loves everyone, as long as they're pasty-faced white motherfuckers. Yeah. Well, uh, according to uh, universal male suffrage, it doesn't matter what kind of pasty face you have. Yeah, you're... uh... (laughs) You get to vote in our cool new empire. You get to vote for Napoleon the Third to be emperor every every election. Yeah. It doesn't matter the color of your skin. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Whether it be white or pink or sullied with acne, you can vote for Napoleon the Third. It's a good rallying call. Um, yeah, and also. The motherfucker did a self-coup. <laughs> the genius cooed himself. Con- congratulations. <laughs> so Napoleon the third, Eddie brocked himself and uh... <laughs> I'm slowly threw it away. Add Napoleon the third to the list of famous historical incels with Eddie Brock. <laughs> Welcome to Spider-Man 3, part 
oh, I did think this would be a serious podcast. <laughs> then this... I got involved. Sorry. Um, so it was a serious podcast until you got here. <laughs> it really was. I apologize for dropping this. We decided instead of actually writing accessible content, we would make it sound accessible by making jokes. Yeah, we basically make it fun to make up for the fact that I can't take notes. Anyway, um, we're just reading our notes Why? out loud now. The Paris Queen happened. Uh, uh... I don't know who wrote half of this, to be honest. I'm going to assume. Know. This is me. Um, so Napoleon III, military and political genius, as we know, based on the fact that he cooed himself, uh, declared war on <laughs> Prussia in uh, 1870, I believe it was, and promptly lost uh, because, as I said, he's a military and political genius, um, which caused the collapse of the Second French Empire and the establishment of the Third French Republic. That's cool. Yeah. <laughs> what I've learned from talking to French people is that their solution to everything is to establish a new republic. <laughs> either well, it's either establish a republic or an empire, whichever one you just got rid of. Well, when they got rid of Algeria, that wasn't getting rid of an empire, they just did a new republic for the fun of it. But in this case, they nailed it. <laughs> they true to form. Uh, true to form. They established a um, lack of anything. Then, if I'm if I'm correct, Napoleon the Third was uh, president of the Second French Empire and then promptly abdicated. Uh, but I am not too sure about that. Uh, I, I think that was the case, yeah. That's the that that's the idea I got from like reading your note. <laughs> Sounds like something that would happen. Moving on. Uh, but regardless, he wasn't the president for most of these events. <laughs> uh, the important... Yeah, he basically balls everything up and um then was acting like King Shit of Fuck Mountain and marched into uh, Prussia at the time, and Prussia was trying to reorganize itself by um, Kaiser Wilhelm, what was it, the, the first? The like, first, yeah. yeah. Yeah, Kaiser Wilhelm the first, because the Wilhelm second the was first. the World War One guy. <laughs> yeah, the cool one. Um, so no. Kaiser, Wilhelm, <laughs> Kaiser Wilhelm the first was like, uh, I can unite all these if I just have a boogeyman to um, shit upon, and uh, France was willing to indulge so they organized themselves into a small revolutionary war and France got involved with uh, battling Prussia, absolutely shot the bed, retreated to Versailles and grand areas of um, what were the two territories? Were they... Um... Is, it, is, it, is it Alsace-Lorraine? Uh, I don't. I don't know if that's. I don't know if that's correct. That's just the area between France and Germany that they're always fighting over. <laughs> yeah, but back in the day, it used to be two separate things, and that makes absolute sense to me. So they, they lost them to Prussia almost immediately, and then were like, uh, "Yeah, guys, you can probably take over Paris as well. We'll just make do with the rest of the area that we have." But um, 
Paris like or the the Parisians were like, well, well, fuck that, and organized themselves into a essentially what we're talking about, the Paris Commune, and you skipped over a bunch the, of cool stuff. Yeah, incredibly cool stuff. Used the um, militia <laughs> in the area and keeps declared going. Declared their own Stop sovereignty and then continued on by declaring a kind of Leyland. separatism from France. Leyland, calm the fuck down. Okay. Okay, so I wasn't you're paying any attention to uh, whatever you were saying because I was Leyland. reading about this uh, Third Republic thing. Leland, Continue. you're skipping. You're skipping over the stuff we're talking about. <laughs> At Leland, we have notes. You're like, um, yeah, you're we like, have notes, but I was giving you a background. But go no, on. no, that's the thing, is um, the background is what we're talking about right now. <laughs> you're, you're like okay, in a hurry uh, to get somewhere, but you're skipping over where we're trying to get. I would, I would like to uh, quickly point out that uh, Napoleon III was never in charge of the Third Republic. The Third Republic okay. was established right after he was captured by the Prussians at the Battle of Sedan, and they didn't have a president okay. until a year in. Okay. Because he was a traditional that's, that's That's why I was confused. They were doing it like right the for Republic a year. Was established. <laughs> yeah, because the Republic was established, but then the guy who was president during all, like most of the stuff happening wasn't president until later, and I was like, wait, what's going on? Okay. Oh, no, he absolutely beats it. Yeah, okay, so Prussia held Paris under siege for four months, um, and the government uh, ran away because they were scared shitless. Um, <laughs> yes. And the army mostly moved out of Paris, um, which left Paris under the control of... Uh, the, or, so the de left defending of the Paris to the National Guard, uh, who were basically civilians trained to be soldiers uh, somewhat, uh, and they were, because of this whole Franco-Prussian war thing and government abandoning them, whatnot, were becoming increasingly anti-government and pro uh, the workers. Um, and... Which makes sense when when the government at the time just goes, oh, peace, and fucks off to Versailles and then leaves you on your own. You have to yeah. kind of organize yourselves, which is a really great enabling act of uh, the French government at the time for the Paris Commune. Yeah, and then um, the guy who was president of the French Republic eventually when they got a president... Um, Todd. <laughs> uh, no, it's uh, Adolphe Thiers. I don't speak French. Yeah, uh, Todd. Probably like Théo something like that, or whatever. Uh, he Thiers. signed an armistice. He signed an armistice with Prussia uh, that disarmed the army, but not the National Guard. <laughs> <laughs> You know the people, the people Whoops. who had who didn't like the government anymore and were pretty much <laughs> in control of Paris at the time. <laughs> wow, um, I wonder if that will lead to anything. Yeah, no, and so, <laughs> so then the uh, there were a whole bunch of cannons in Paris. <laughs> Check <laughs> Um so there's a whole bunch of cannons in Paris uh, that were like, they were like owned by the army, but paid for by uh, the National Guard or something like that. Uh, some historian, please correct me. Um, and the people no, got a hold no, of I them and like left them lying around in like parks and stuff like that for the people to use. And there was the like hill 
with where they left a whole bunch of them and the french government was like we got to go get those cannons so they sent like the army to go get the cannons um and uh basically the horses to pull the cannons didn't arrive on time and that's <gasps> really fucking funny <laughs> Um, that's why the USPS has never been cooed. <laughs> um, <laughs> so, like, while the army's sitting there waiting for horses, uh, a whole crowd of people who are mostly women at first gather and they start to uh, insult the army and throw rocks and sticks and be like, hey, fuck you, you bootlickers. <laughs> that's so good. And so then the army's like, or the like guy in charge of the army's like fire and the army's like nah and so the like soldiers refuse to follow orders and some of them join in the crowd and so the people and the national guard and army defectors take control of the cannons and the government uh flees the city entirely and so there's just workers and radicalized soldiers uh left in the city pretty much oh he's fucking well done the army but they did the best thing an any army can do, which is totally fuck up and leave a bunch of people that don't like the army in charge. Yeah. Um which does like bring up like important questions about like what do <laughs> what do in the modern day uh <laughs> because like basically anytime anything like this has happened, it's like Basically, that because the uh, the army defected, um, and uh, frankly, the army are all bigger bootlickers now than they ever have. <laughs> okay, no, so so basically, this entire situation is created by a logistics failure, which our current military is very good at logistics nowadays yeah. because science and technology and engineering and. <laughs> They're very good at logistics, and they're very good at uh, being bootlickers. Right. No, because so, uh, like, remember, uh, we uh, when we got rid of the draft, we made it a volunteer thing. And rather than drafting poor people into being in a military they don't want to be in, we made it so that it was an economic incentive. So basically, your life would suck ass unless you joined the military. So now they view it as, like, the military is their saviors. It's their brotherhood. You know, that kind of kind of very fashy shit that doesn't lead to a lot of people like, like anytime someone's like hey stop being in the military and join our cool kids club they're like rather than oh hell yeah now they're like i i am in the cool kids club the uh the ones that fly fly like ss banners in the middle of the fucking desert because they're fascists <laughs> moving on <laughs> Yeah, so basically, open-ended question of, uh, what do? What do? Is there any hope? What can we learn from this? Well, uh-huh. clearly the solution is to bring back conscription. <laughs> bring back so the that people will hate the cars, replace them with horses. So we can, so we can hate them, so we can hate the military again. <laughs> Wasn't it? Wasn't it? Young Neocod who was saying like one way of measuring like, uh, like 
socialism or leftism in the United States is to measure the popularity of the military. Oh, I thought you were going to say horses. <laughs> measure the popularity thing. of horses. <laughs> it should have been the horse thing. No, I think that's a good thing, though. I don't want to go too much into that, though. Um, yeah. Um, I fucking love a horse. We've established context. Yay, us. <laughs> was the Paris Commune? <laughs> great question. Great. We now that now that now that the now that the now that the workers and the radicalized soldiers are in charge of the city, what did they do? Uh, freak out for a bit, basically. Yeah, Leland, tell us about <laughs> the oh, no. commune. Well, um, I would say that the way that uh, the organization is structured is from the grassroots up and that the organizing is carried out between a loose compact between the um, the revolutionary groups in or around Paris at the time. So you've got agents like the Neo-Jacobins who are excited to enact um, the, the sort of um, revolutionary principles that, that were enacted in the French Revolution by their idol Robespierre. You've got people like um, Delis Clouse, who I believe is the lead dude behind um, uh, the publication of a big uh, internationalist workers' newspaper. And you've got um, people who are like beholden to Blanqui, who um, were motiv- by, motivated by the socialist revolutionary teachings of Louis-Auguste Blanqui. And, and they all come together to form various committees born out of these uh, pre-existing um, revolutionary groups and then through a series of elections that actually see Blanqui get elected president, I believe, of the commune, even though I think he's... Um, I think he's in French... Uh, I think he's incarcerated at the time, so he doesn't actually get to enact anything, which is which is weird because I think he more favoured. Um, I don't want to say actual tyranny, but he he very much focused on just like a small group of um, ideologically sound people <laughs> making all the decisions at first before handing it over to um, underlings and, and and shit. So. Um, so yes, yeah, so, so it's more of a loose, a loose collection of agents organizing matters from, um, from the ground upwards, rather than any kind of uh, working class dictatorial um, dictation, uh, dictatorial society. Um, even it's the phrase you're looking for, dictatorship of the proletariat. Dictatorship of the proletariat, <laughs> that's the one that I was looking for. Even though it isn't really that. 
it's very much that in kind of revisionist terms after the time, but they were scratching around. Look, they were basically just a commune of fucking workers and the working class. And it was very much later on that people would define them as a dictatorship of the working class in that way. Well, I mean, that's, I think that's the thing, though, is that like, uh, that uh, people who use the term dictatorship of the proletariat will be, will look back at that and be like, yes, that's what we're talking about when we say dictatorship of the proletariat. We don't mean a literal dictatorship. Like, but also, like, why then use the that. term? Like, um, why then use the term dictatorship? Uh, very much. You know, I, 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 I yeah. think it was born of uh, Leninist revisionism. Like, whenever he was talking about and invoking the Paris Commune, it was very much in terms of dictatorship. And then if you compare that to the actual principles that Lenin enacted, he very much saw it as a kind of worker's dictatorship, even though he was using that as a kind of smokescreen to disguise his own more centralized tyranny, as it were, by cloaking it in terms of the workers. So I I think he used it in... um, sort of um oh, help me <laughs> well, my my point is that like i don't like we're not disagreeing here i'm just no we're not disagreeing at all that like we're, we're talking is that, about like, he, is that like what i what i'm saying is propagandistic like, terms of i'm yeah, going to like, take this idea of uh proletarian like, like the, workers a, like dictatorship like what, and I'm going to use it and I am going to be the proletarian and we are going to define who the proletarian right, the, is. The, yeah, no, what, what like Lenin and people describing as a dictatorship the proletariat are doing is they're saying that uh, you know, the, the point of the phrase dictatorship of the proletariat is that it's like uh, like it's the the will of the proletariat is dictating what's happening in society now in the example of the paris commune they do that through like the proletariat democratically like making decisions and running society and in uh lenin's case it's the party which clearly knows exactly what the proletariat wants and uh so they're 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 like abstracting the proletariat to this level of like the general interests of the proletariat and dictatorship to just mean deciding what happens in society and rather than, uh, you know, anything useful. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well, yeah, uh, uh, on, on that, Go Leland, on. shut up. <laughs> so uh, essentially the, uh, the modern concept of dictatorship itself more or less comes from the fact that uh, 20th century dictatorships were attempting to gain popularity through secularization, but what they uh, fundamentally wanted was a recreation of monarchy, but monarchies are themselves drenched in this sort of idea of like divine right. So they needed to replace the idea of divinity with some sort of, you know, populist idea like proletarians and whatnot. So the 20th century idea of dictatorship sort of taints everything in that, in that, you know, you get like people like Hitler that were, oh, it's for the workers, or people like Lenin who are like, oh, it's for the workers, and they uh, essentially just centralize authority around that concept, and in, an individual dictates as a dictatorship, where 
rather than like this extremely vague little linguistic trick they do where it's like, oh, it's <laughs> the will is dictated through representative democracy, a term that already literally exists. Which speaks to how they're yeah. misrepresenting the, the Paris Commune, which is explicitly worker-driven and almost the entirety of it is um, linked with the um, Christianizing the church at the time. They were very much in, on board with uh, removing any kind of religious aspect from organization at the time. And it is very much wrapped up in actual ideas of the worker rather than prescripting ideas onto the worker and then using them as a, a block like it is incredibly it's really great basically is what i'm saying they fucking listen to everyone and they engage with them and they enact the kind of things that they actually want to do which is uh depoliticize the church de-christianize the church even um the uh rather than do you want to radicalize everything they're actually doing in terms of the organization of society and it's a really cool platform that they're indulging in uh, which is completely misinterpreted by later marxist opinions of it where it is very much like they were seizing all of the power in terms of um, making it into dictatorial society, which they're very much not doing. And that's one of the things I was interested about when everyone was talking about Blanqui. Like, lots of stuff talks about Blanqui, who is around about um, all of French society at the time, preaching kind of anarchism. And one of the things that Marx later says is that one of the things he thinks is one of the most important things he thinks is missing from the Paris Commune at the time is one singular leader in Blanqui. But at the same time, I think the Paris Commune works better for not having that singular revolutionary leader who is uh, emblematic of what they were doing and therefore is forced to completely engage with democratistic engagement and organize themselves through speaking with one another in a communal element and therefore it is more successful in that regard but and, and the only thing they couldn't have predicted is that the entirety of the french army buoyed up by prisoner of prisoners of wars being released after the Franco-Prussian War, marching into France and murdering the fuck up every single one of them. Okay, but yeah. I want to talk about Blanqui for a second. Talk about Blanqui. Because, like... He's cool. Yeah. Like I had a good transition no. and everything. <laughs> okay, Same. so just quickly... God damn it. Um, no, because you're saying like they listened to everyone and that they were representative of like the actual workers, but they, they didn't codify that listening to anyone. Like they didn't have like women's suffrage and whatnot, which is a pretty odd. Thing. Yeah, yeah they true. did not have, they didn't like women couldn't vote in the Paris Commune. So that's bad. And also uh, I'm still thinking about Blanqui because you keep saying things like, oh, he's preaching a kind of anarchism and he was cool. But like, 
I, I disagree. <laughs> He's um, very prototypical and kind of um, aggressive. In his anarchy, like, well, like, the... but he's very much organized within French society at the time as agitating towards a degree of anarchism. It's not actual kind proper, of, like, you know. I mean, first of all, he does want to seize the state in a sort of Marxist kind of way, so that's not very anarchist. Yeah. He's also like very vanguardist uh, and like. Uh, the like left comms in the early 20th century would like accuse Lenin of being blankiest. Yeah. Um, uh, so like, uh, I, I don't think it's like he was like, but he was also insurrectionary, which is a uh, like pretty anarcho thing, I guess. So like, uh, I can like I can see where the where the overlap is, but he's just he's just a different thing entirely. He doesn't fit into the anarchist or Marxist camp. Um, he's really he's, he's uh, really weird in that for, almost all of his politics are based on um, the actual struggle. He has absolutely nothing to say about the kind of society that would be after the overthrow of what he hates. Yeah, from, so he's mm-hmm. anarchist in the way that he hates the the state that he's raging against, but he has literally nothing to say about any kind of post-state situation. Right. Which is from kind of what interesting, I, from what I gather shitty at the same time. From what I from what I gather, he's kind of like a insurrectionary third position. Kind of, yes. Um, yes. Which is uh not good. <laughs> uh and like uh like as far as I can tell, he has no plan for like the abolition of the state. Um so who knows? No, like, no, he has no plans about anything. He's basically just it's like as far as shit. as far as I can tell, he's just like any he's just like any anything else is better than this, which is not a good opinion to have. Um and also and also the like and also uh, Mussolini liked him and uh, and had a and had a quote from him on the cover of the like Italian fascist newspaper. Um, so that's bad as well. I was, was going to point out the fact that all of his ideas are extremely similar to your 1920s, 1930s Italian fascism, and that it's a combination of just sort of like right-wing political structures and insurrectionaryism backed by like shoddy left-wing like economics and just basically it's like a a shitty understanding of like leftist critiques of the current way of things with like on like a very shitty attempt at anarchism that is essentially fascism and calling it not anarchism is a pretty shitty way to approach it because anarchism itself is a basic philosophy that doesn't negate fascist philosophy so calling it not anarchism sort of denies the fact that you get people like evola who basically say the exact same shit as blanqui except in italian right my point isn't to say it's not anarchist because like for that reason, but just say like he didn't have anything to do with anarchism. He didn't call himself an anarchist. Oh, definitely. Yeah, right about all, anarchism. All of the uh, Paris Commune stuff sort of predates our like modern yeah, it sexualization of the left. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it just predates that, and to like call it that is not accurate. 
Um, no, that's yeah, that's completely yeah. valid. He's a fucking interesting guy, and in that he influences almost all of the subsequent um, communist anarchist figures at the time through his yeah. No, there's a there's like basically basically all the all the like 1800s 1800s socialist milieu influences basically everyone from the 20th century. So yeah. like. Like, like whether you're a socialist, an anarchist, a fascist, whatever, uh, you in the early 20th century, you you're you've read Blanqui, you've read Marx, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter. Maybe you haven't read them, but you're you're influenced by their ideas in some form. No, I um, felt it was um, ideologically garbage to skip over him. Because he has such a outsized um, yeah no on the I'm not I'm not saying like, we should I'm not saying we should skip yeah, over him at absolutely. all absolutely he's a very very important figure it's just to be like oh he was an anarchist and he was cool is uh, wrong <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he has some kind of like some of the stuff that he talks about is foundational in in Marxism and the the kind of stuff that um, Kropotkin and Bakunin are talking about. In that it's yeah a lot of like a lot of what he says like influenced the the anarchism and the Marxism and the everything else to come yeah which is why I felt like we couldn't gloss over him because he's outside influence at the time even though (laughs) yeah Uh, gloss over him we just give all the points and go straight to him (laughs) yeah all right Trevor. We didn't gloss over him. We talked about him quite yeah, a bit. Yeah, we did. Let's move on. We glossed over everything I wanted to talk about. <laughs> Welcome to the Blanky episode. Um, I've never heard of him. Still don't really know what's going on. Um, just It sounds like Evola before Evola. Um, Basically. The only problem with Blanky is that he's French and not Italian. Uh, and um, probably has the only difference. That's, the only difference between him and uh, and the Ital- later Italians of the twenty and, early and mid twentieth century, and I imagine, given the context, <laughs> that Blanqui was probably a bit more secular. Um, they the Italian yeah. fascists had a lot of opinions on uh, spirituality. Anyway, uh, <laughs> but yeah, Blanqui was yeah. An- was anti theist as well. So. So if we're, if we're talking about the Paris Commune, there is basically that split between the neo-Jacobins and the Blanquists, and while and they... there were and Prodonists ah, who yeah. were much more anarchist, they were there. They were Prodonists and uh, uh, International Working Men's Association. We've not people. probably spoken about them. Do you, do you want to enlighten us? I don't know. Yeah, they were like. Uh, uh, Prudonists wanted to like dissolve uh, France and a uh, whole world uh, into <laughs> federated communes. That's a thing. Um, 
and have a grand agro-industrial federation of uh, workers and farmers and such uh, making decisions about economic stuff and then uh, people people like to there's a there's a thing about like like there's a there's a like taboo i guess around like Proudhon and mutualism i guess that's like oh they're just like they're they're they like markets or whatever they yeah. uh, they're just like basically capitalists um uh and like but like what Proudhon was saying was a huge influence on like syndicalism and Bakunin and like all this later stuff to come and like from like uh and he like and as i said they wanted a grand agro-industrial federation to basically uh democratically regulate uh the markets that they want to exist so you know i don't i can't speak for like i can't speak for what modern mutualists like the c4ss want in that regard but like that was basically uh like part of Proudhon's idea and stuff like that so like they weren't just you know capitalists they were anarchists or early anarchists you know um and they they and they had marxists to do that whole like dichotomy between marxists and capitalists you know i'm just gonna give up (laughs) fuck you leland (laughs) you're the one that put the women's suffrage stuff before blanky by the way (laughs) i watched you i thought it was weird i i trusted you (laughs) (laughs) anyway uh (laughs) marxists tend to do this thing where they dichotomize all all ideologies between marxism and capitalism and fascism is a subset of the capitalism or is that fucking capitalism it's it's probably capitalism you know i'm not agreeing with them on this so i'm probably a capitalist as far as they're concerned well, no, I hear that from I hear that from anarchists too. They'll just be like, "Oh, the mutualists are just capitalists, and they're just stand caps." And I'm like, "Well, you don't have to like them to admit that they're different. That they believe different things." Most anarchists are the just the people that believed when ML said that uh, they wanted anarchism. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, note to listeners: Please never say that uh, anarchists and Marxists want. The same have the same end goal. Uh, I I will have an aneurysm. Also, it's sort of relies on that whole um, ends justify the means sort of ideology, which is like philosophy from before people knew what words were. So, (laughs) Uh, yeah. Hey, Leland, what's this about the bloody week? (laughs) Incredible segue. Um, so basically after everyone's fucking around being incredibly great, uh, dealing with being absolutely free from French government, um, the French government, uh, reorganize themselves in Versailles and accept all kinds of prisoners of war back into the fold. And then they march every single, every single army person into paris and murder everyone is this like when uh george washington did that yeah it's like when george washington did that it's like when michael jordan did that to the aliens 
uh, with the help of oh, Bugs Bunny. I remember that. They absolutely creamed those motherfuckers. And, um, I'm just talking about the, uh, the thing that happened when uh, George Washington, after gaining control of all of the troops, uh, when there was the, uh, the people who, uh, after the United States was formed, and on the basis of, oh, the king taxes us too much, we're not going to tax you as much, and then they passed new taxes, and people were like, wait, what the hell? And then George Washington took the entire U.S. Army and rode in on a white horse to tell them, you're going to pay your taxes. <laughs> we're the woke guys. We can't do anything wrong because we're woke. That's what George yeah. Washington said. As he so uh, basically the slaves. Uh, <laughs> cute little the anecdote. Republics about U.S. history. The Third Republic was just copying the U.S. as usual, as the French tend to do. So, um, what? Uh, actually happened in the the Paris Commune because it's really hard to read stuff about it because 90% of the stuff you find is not about what happened at all. Yeah, 90% of what you find about the Paris Commune is just either anarchists or Marxists propagandizing it and just being like, it was great, it was freedom, it was the dictatorship of the proletariat, it was the negation of the state, it was... It's, blah, blah, it's like blah, this blah. thing you do in like weird theoretical physics where it's like this black box you don't know what happens inside it but you know the inputs and the outputs you know that there was like some french army and you know at the end like lenin existed or something so you just have to like theorize what happened on the inside so the end yeah. the end of the paris commune was essentially the um the entirety of the french army marched into paris and murdered every motherfucker going um, without any kind, it was called the Bloody Week. Um, they walked in, uh, every single at, at the time. Let's let's reel back a moment. Um, so at, at, at the time, there were uh, there was a revolutionary force of women who were carrying around buckets of petrol, essentially dousing buildings in it and setting them alight. And so the French army at the time marched into Paris, murdered absolutely every woman they could see in the hopes that they would prevent burning of Paris. Um, sometimes they would shoot through children's faces in order to kill those women. I think that was, um, I think it was Mitchell Ad Abidor who I, I read something that he either wrote or translated that was essentially along the lines of the um, military of the French army marched into Paris, murdered absolutely everyone they could see. They had a particular penchant for murdering people who were women, who looked suspicious because they could have been carrying petrol because that was a thing that... All of the revolutionary women at the time were doing, they were essentially smuggling petrol into incredibly um, militaristically interesting areas or libraries or whatever and burning them to the ground. Um, one of the later Marxist critiques, I think it was by Marx himself, was that um, 
they didn't actually burn down the Bank of Paris at the time because we thought <laughs> if they had bothered to go the extra mile, burn down the Bank of Paris, they wouldn't have been able to march the soldiers in and murder everyone because it would have been an economic situation rather than just monitoring the populace by killing them in their faces. So there was a really interesting situation going on during the, the Bloody Week where essentially the French government marched in, murdered revolutionary French commune, deported the rest of them. After deporting most of them, um, which included the likes of uh, Louis Michel, um, who wasn't an anarchist before she went away, but I want to say on the boat being radicalised by a whole swathe of radical figures, including a whole bunch of anarchists who would later come to France after their pardon 10 years later from participating in the French Commune as anarchists was revolutionised on the boat uh, to New Caledonia. Um, I think uh, it's kind of a, a little detail people tend to miss is uh, New Caledonia is on the other side of the fucking planet. Oh, it's from France. It's like by Australia or something. Yes. It basically doesn't count as a place. Um, they were exported there. It's a long boat. <laughs> and there was a load of people who were uh, basically exiled to New Caledonia who end up maybe nine, ten years later when the um, when their exile expires, they end up coming back and uh, presenting much of the anarchist movement in France at the time. And the rest of them have essentially adopted anarchist principles, which I think speaks to an interesting thing. Like most of the people who were actually involved in the Paris Commune and then survived it and were exported from France seem to adopt anarchist principles. But the um, theoretical people who are talking about it, like Marx, uh, Lenin, uh, Engels, etc., um, very much seized upon it as a idea of the ideal of what they were preaching. Yet, every single person that I have researched so far that was in Paris Commune basically turned to anarchism almost immediately, was radicalized. So I think there's an interesting question there as opposed to a lived experience versus pure theoreticalism about what uh, radical leftist principle is is valid, whether it is purely theoretical, which seems to be the communist way of going about things, or lived in, which seems to be the next way of going about things, which I thought would be an interesting thing for us to talk about, but you tell me. Uh, well, it, you, it you is... already told us. <laughs> um, we don't. Do we have rule? Do we have rules about Leland drinking while we're podcasting? I'm sorry, I thought that Can't was good. Him, he's British. Sorry, what? Our ideas don't count there. It was. Good. Oh, I'm sorry. Just, I've listened to the first episode where I wasn't I involved. Don't know what time and it is anymore. You were talking slowly and long. <laughs> they were. I Not as slow both. as you, I tell you that much. 
Um, thank you, Leland. Heart emoji. Um, <laughs> Leland, I love you, but sometimes you just list In off fairness, yes. That is most of leftist history, it's though. It's actual informative bullshit. Yeah, that's Sorry. true. Names. Play it like twice speed. That'll sort it out. <laughs> <laughs> no, it won't. It sounds terrible. Anyway, um... I did try to dig into some of the uh, the mythos around the Paris Commune, okay. what people, when they actually say what See happened, how I said okay, absolutely zero quick. sources, so take it with salt. Congrats. <laughs> Congratulations, Leland. <laughs> Thank yeah, you. Yeah, great. Anyway, um, so, uh, anyway, so the uh, rent was cancelled. Insert dramatic rent, music. Rent, rent was found to be problematic and promptly cancelled. Yeah, um... <laughs> <laughs> that's not about rent. It's about, like, AIDS or something. I don't know. I it's about it. the that Paris Commune. It's about the Paris Commune. <laughs> Everything's about the Paris Commune is what we'll find out later. Um, so... <laughs> One thing that is uh, pretty dope is they, they tore down the victory column. Which is like a monument to some French wars. Uh, they call this article called it uh, France's Chauvinist Wars of Aggression, which which is pretty lit. Um, I don't have to read every single bullet point here. You could anyone could. One thing they did is they banned is they banned night shifts, um, which I guess is cool if you're forced to work night shifts. But also like, <laughs> when the fuck are normal people who uh, are awake at night supposed to work? Yeah, I mean, we could just never work. I'm cool with yeah, that. Yeah, that's weird. Night shift yeah, is not true. Yeah, I guess I just like, don't it's... work in this society. Some people want to do that. Well, I suppose back then it probably seemed like the the thing to do. Um, so I'm not going to hate them for it, but I am going to say in the future we should not do that. Yeah, because um, we have Twitter now, and we can't. We shouldn't ban night shifts unless we're also going to ban day shifts. Um, also, the the commune still relied on representative democracy. Um, uh, so there was a like fundamental like uh, separation between the people and the councils. Um, even if the councils were uh, better and or an improvement over the previous government, they they weren't uh, like true direct assembly democracy. You know. That cool stuff. 
they were that other thing. Yeah, bringing us back to the point of if they had to vote for people, why didn't they let women vote for people? It is Riddle really weird that they allow them onto like the executive committee of all of the the parties in the Paris Commune, but at no stage are they critical enough to be like, well, you're a thought leader in this uh, <laughs> this situation we deal with, but um. I can't have you deciding anything. I just want to take a, I just want to take a moment to say <laughs> thought leader. Um, but also like uh, also like women played like a very important role in the seizing of the cannons. Um, and like they were the first people to like show up in an angry mob. And yeah, absolutely like, hey, all the stuff you, I've read about this has been um, like the so, you know, um the women uh, in particular were like, I'm gonna fuck shit up and the the women were dank and Yeah, they're dank the as hell. The women were dank as hell and then the women were dank as hell and then they were just like You can what do if everything. You, you can be though. at the forefront of everything we're doing, but for fuck's sake, you cannot vote. Yeah. That's ridiculous. Is basically the organizing principle of the Paris Commune. <laughs> Have you have you considered that voting is for the cool men and not for the uh, people that actually do stuff? The the women had all these great ideas, like uh, seizing the cannons and throwing shit at the army and burning down buildings. You know what? I don't trust them to do. Have ideas. <laughs> it's weird because they're actually on the um, organizing committee. There are. The Roman like Joe Michelle, who are on the organizing committee of the fucking Paris Commune, but have no voting rights whatsoever. Like they they admit them onto the society and like you have really good ideas, we're gonna listen to you, but God forbid you vote for anything or be involved in any kind of organizational format apart from just telling us what to do and we'll do it. It's bonkers. But capacity. That's the word. But what's the word? But, capacity. But, but, organizational capacity. That's what. Uh, what a bird, 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 bird. They didn't let women have what bank accounts. Bird, what's bird, that about? Bird. Yeah, there weren't very many, but there were uh, a couple of significant ones. And yeah, you're right. They they literally didn't let um women have bank accounts in France until midway into the 20th century. Um, I, it's not in the notes, actually, when women were allowed to have bank accounts I in France. I do not know. Uh, I, so I was listening I'm, to Rev Left Radio, and they said... I'm that, looking it up right now. Um, they weren't allowed them until midway into the 20th century, um, which I seem like 50s, 60s, maybe? when, But I... I do not know a specific period, so I was like, ah, I'll just leave. Married women were allowed to work in 1965. <laughs> <laughs> this is that good bit we're doing again, where we're Googling it. <laughs> yeah, that wonderful bit on the podcast where we all Google something we forgot to look up before the podcast. Um, <laughs> Sorry. Um, it looks I'm like sorry, we use Yandex. 
1907, married women given control of their income, which sounds to me like allowed to have bank accounts. Um, so anyway, but I can't actually find the like anything that's like when they're specifically women are allowed to have. You tried that. I tried. Yeah. I did a. I did a Google search. <laughs> we succeeded at podcast. Yeah, read that line, someone. This is uh, in contrast from French <laughs> attitude to women more broadly in surrounding agricultural areas. You, someone else wrote that note. I have no idea what that sentence means. <laughs> How did Let how did it read contrast? It again. Hang on. I watched Leland. Leland is not very helpful. This is in. Contrast from French. It doesn't say this is in. I said this is in because otherwise it makes zero sense at all, actually. <laughs> yeah. No, oh, yeah, not, because like, Trevor I was made it a talk vowel about it sentence, with my mouth. It's still not a sound sentence. There was a break between rural France and um, French Republic that was happening in the likes of uh, Paris and Marseille and the big cities at the time. And there was this enormous break between what was happening in the residential um, city centres of the area versus what was happening in the rural centres. So... Right, that's not anything new. That's that's happened. Oh yeah, absolutely. What what what? But what was the break? Like, what was their disagreement? So I would say the disagreement in urban areas such as Paris or Marseille was predicated on their um, acceptance of Bohemian principles, such as, or as we define them as Bohemian, such as laissez-faire attitude to homosexuality of or like a, a more ready adoption of ideas like socialism. And um, in that respect, you have a more radical community and schools of thought in those urban areas versus the broader rural communities of France who are operating under conservative ideologies. And it's, it's that basic old-school split between you've got these educated, liberal urban areas who are very much buoyed by their status as having institutes of learning uh, etc versus their status quo conservative farm communities um, but as opposed to the modern day and age this is more solidly uh, stratified by location so you've very much got the conservative communities in the farm communities and the more um, ideologically interesting communities in the cityscapes at the time as opposed to there being a, a broad mix of conservative and liberal ideologies if that makes any kind of sense
guy on me and probably pronounced that wrong, wrote a thing about uh, federalism. Um, is a bit of a propaganda piece, so it's mostly flowery language. Um, there was like, uh, Paris Commune is a, is a federalist revolution, um, and not in the sense of America or Switzerland, but uh, in its true sense, whatever that means. Um, and they, they just went on about how federalism was the negation of the state, and it's a better, and like, I guess it's the, it's sort of that like Proudhonist idea that's like, the uh, federated communes um, uh, and whatnot. And it's, uh, yeah, as I said, uh, propagandizing rather than actually describing ideas is not cool or fun. Yeah, but James Galilaumi, anyway, it was basically just like federalism isn't when there's a state that does this thing, it's when people do communes and do the thing. And I'm like, oh, Guillaume, that Guillaume. is It's like William, but for French people. I don't think he was French. Uh, Guillaume, but whatever. Guillaume. I don't know what he was. He was French. Was he? I don't know if you'd believe that, but he was. <laughs> Not that it says anywhere. Okay. He wrote in French. His name was French. Good enough. Good enough. Good sex day, everyone, and welcome to Puffle. There were other communes prior. We're on page. Page this one. Fucking four. Yeah, back in. in. Talk about back in, in, Chloe. Ah, yeah. There were there were attempts at communes prior to Paris in the year before, um, in Marseille and Lyon, and Bakunin attempted to, uh, like lead an insurrection in Lyon, uh, and, and he described it as clearly formulated negation of the state. So that's cool. Um. Bakunin's another one of those people who a lot of what he said was flowery language uh, that didn't really say anything. Like I read, I read like two things by Bakunin, and it was all mostly just like flowery language. Um, and that's what pisses me off about uh, people writing at this time is they had no no love for brevity, just like Leland. Well, uh, Marx was special. A very quick and precise critique of capital economy. Really, <laughs> really brief and to the point. Mm, I'm furious. Well, Leland, you got wrecked by facts and or logic. Um, what the hell is this about superior mentalities? It's annoying me that I saw those two words. Who quoted this and why? In fact, where is the mind, brilliant as it may be, or if we speak of a collective dictatorship, even if it were formed of several hundred individuals endowed with superior mentalities, where are the intellects powerful enough to embrace the infinite multiplicity and diversity of real interests, aspirations, wishes, 
needs which sum up the collective will of yeah the no that's uh that's right, some flowery language from bakunin but it's it's his like uh it's his condemning of like the party yes that's what i'm explaining right now uh <laughs> It's his like condemning of the the party or the vanguard or whatever, um, and basically he's just like, uh, you know, you could have the the smartest, most big brain alpha geniuses in your vanguard, and it still isn't gonna be like as effective at meeting the needs of the people as just the people themselves, <laughs> because due to like, I believe you, know, you could have the. The big brain alpha genius who knows who knows who read all the books still doesn't know like uh, what like Ready. the individual wants or what like you know every every all the workers he's he's supposedly serving uh, he's not going to have the experiences and desires of those people and therefore not going to be able to truly meet uh, their needs and desires. Basically, mm. Vanguard is owned with facts and logic. What a savage critique of Trevor. Um, let's move on. <laughs> Who is this <laughs> Louise Michelle person? Louise Michelle, famous for being the uh, the Twitter avatar for at Left Slide. Well, it sounds like Chloe knows, so I'll. Uh, Do y'all remember them? I, I remember Left Slide. I know a lot of people who use Louise Michelle as their uh, Twitter avatar, and none of them are nearly as cool as she was. Fair. <laughs> What's the deal with the Marxists? That, that's, uh, that's definitely my section. I think all the notes from here on are more me than Leland. That's good. Because they're bad. Finally. Irrelevant. <laughs> Uh, so yeah, uh, as previously mentioned by that one guy, uh, the uh, Marxist view the Paris Commune as the uh, working example of the dictatorship of the proletariat. Funny how none of their like attempts at a dictatorship of the proletariat in the future looked anything like it. Yeah, um, Leland muted himself. That's weird. Good. Correct. Um, so complain about this article. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So the thing about uh, leftism is that people complain about sectarianism a lot, but it's even worse when uh, they complain about sectarianism than sectarianism is. So you get these sort of party line type of people who everything's based on the party line, and then they write stuff, and you're like, I'm going to read this article about Paris Commune, and halfway through you realize you're reading a critique of the, uh, what's the word? Revisionism of Khrushchev? And you kind of have to stare off into the distance for a few moments and go, what led to this? Where are we? What's going on? Is his name pronounced Khrushchev or Khrushchev? We do not know. Um... And essentially, uh, what happens is is that uh, they talk about the Paris Commune, and the Paris Commune is their example of the dictatorship of the proletariat. What else is an example of dictatorship of the proletariat? Obviously, the USSR. Very good country, that one. 
That was a sarcasm, in case you couldn't tell from the burp. And uh, so they need to compare everything to this Paris Commune. And according to them, the USSR had a very similar structure. You know, it had the Soviets, and each of the Soviets was an actual workers' council voted in by the workers. That existed. That's why it's called the Soviet Union. But Khrushchev destroyed it with his revisionism after Stalin died or some shit like that. So you get that kind of thing. And then you get like, oh, Mao in the PRC. Mao brought about a similar sort of dictatorship of the proletariat. This is a real thing that happened. I read books. And instead of actually talking about uh, Marx's many works where he jacks off to the Paris Commune. They talk about when Lenin jacked off to Marx jacking off to the Paris Commune. So we get these levels of abstraction that are essentially just straight up fucking Soviet propaganda published in like the 80s about a thing that happened in the 1870s. And it makes no sense. And that's why I don't listen to these people when they yell at me for being sectarian, because when they're not yelling at me for being sectarian, they're doing this shit where they talk about Khrushchev. How did Khrushchev not talking about Lenin, talking about Marx, talking about the Paris Commune affect the, the way the Soviet Union developed? Oh, so they allowed people to vote, and when people voted, they dissolved the Soviet Union, which is not dictatorship of the proletariat at all. <laughs> that I'm sorry, that wasn't Khrushchev. That was a guy like three guys after him. That was a mean joke. I'm sorry, tankies. Go fuck yourselves. Um, other stuff about Marxists. I didn't write this one. This was this was all Eland, I think. Was this failure of dictatorship? Oh yeah, we sort of mentioned this. The whole thing where uh, since the yeah, talked about back, how to look back and see why it failed, and they all had different ideas. I already, pretty much already talked about this. Like the like. Marx and Engels were like, ah, this is the dictatorship of the proletariat not being executed properly. And everyone who was there was just like, we didn't anarchy enough. They should have murdered more people. That was that was basically the takeaway. Yeah. Um, violence does not necessarily uh, bring about perfection. Sometimes. Sometimes it brings about... Uh, very not good versions of the thing it set out to create and you just have to pretend that it's a good version because you killed people for it and then you double down for 70 straight years that calendar feel like what we, were about. <laughs> we already talked about this on another episode we didn't we didn't talk about the calendar i don't think so the calendar's cool because the calendar's great I love the calendar. It's my goddess. <laughs> Astrology for bureaucrats. Yeah. So, um, so basically, the French Republican calendar was created during the original French Revolution for the French Republic. And it was meant to be decimalized and secular, and it was lit AF, and they brought it back during the Paris Commune. Nice. 
so um so essentially decimalization means everything's based on tens. Some people like to point out that the years are written in uh Roman numerals, which is not decimalized, but they can go like fuck off because Roman numerals are cool and emo. They don't uh, have a zero though. They don't have a zero. They secularization don't have... means that they removed the religious referencing, such as uh, the calendar that they were previously using that was supported by the church. Every day was named after like a saint or something, and they replaced that with names of plants and farm equipment, which means that there is an eggplant cool. day, and we missed it this year. <laughs> we, uh, we missed People like to point day. out issues. With the calendar, and there are no issues with it whatsoever. There's no so like, zero in Roman numerals. So, like, they do this thing where they're like, oh, if there's 10 days, then we have to work for eight days, to then have two days off. Like, no, we get That's 10 days off a week. <laughs> 10 days. <laughs> and and then, like, there's this whole thing about, like, handling leap years and how, like, it's not mathematically done. It's all done by, like, equinoxes and stuff and how it's weird. And we can predict that stuff because we have math and science and we know about the stars and shit. And, like, yeah, back in the day they were bad, but then Einstein, he did stuff. And now we know how the stars move and what they do, though. And that is very good. And... All the issues are like the issues with the Gregorian calendar. There used to be issues, but we fixed them. We can fix these issues too. And like, um, yeah, they're they're bad problems. Uh, like the whole thirty day thing, and then like the extra five days at the end of the year. That's cool. No, no other calendar has the sans coolitudes or whatever. And. Every four years, we get a festival of the revolution. You'd think leftists would be all over this shit, but they're not, because I don't know. I really don't get it. And now I get to list my problems with our current calendar. Seven-day weeks? What are you, a cultist? (laughs) (laughs) Who is Freya? Have you ever heard of Freya? No, you've not. Why is our sixth day named something like Freya Day instead of like Sex Titty Sixth Day? It is cool. It is lit. It's not pronounced like that, but we will pronounce it like that until we it's die. Sex Titty. <laughs> it's pronounced Sex Titty. All right. What more could you want for your sixth day? Of Who has even heard of any Germanic gods? I've never heard of the Germanic gods. Woden? It's like Odin with a W. I don't get it. But Wednesday is named after him. And also the days are in the wrong order because they go like Mars, Mercury, Jupiter, Venus, Saturn. Like whoever made that was very off their rocker. Uh, Yeah, no, like that doesn't make any sense. Whereas this calendar, the days go one day, two day, three day, four day. Like they go in order. It makes sense. Yeah. And they're not based off of a very bad and incorrect understanding of the arrangement of the solar system. (laughs) Yeah, we figured out the stars. We don't. We don't need this bad stars days. We we got this. Thor day. We don't need a Thor day. We need a sex titty. Everyone wants a sex titty. Everyone's favorite day is named after a god they've never heard of. That's our problem. <laughs> and I then the rest of the cal- I bet if we adopted this calendar. Um, 
we'd have full anarchy immediately because everyone would just be so excited about sex titty. Like, hear me out. We already have an established 40 hour work week. If the weeks are longer, you don't work more 40 hours. Yeah, no, if the weeks are longer, then you just you just have more off time. You just do 40 hours mm-hmm. over 10 days. That's four hours a day if you're working every day. Or five days Ridiculous. on, five days off. First day off is called sex titty instead of Saturday. That's perfect. Perfect. It's good. It's excellent. Leland put a note that actually matters to the topic after this for some reason. Leland, that goes... Well, okay, we already talked about that, actually. Um, Did we? Yeah. How, 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 they, how, how they should have been... How they should have burned the, the, burned the bank of parents. We talked about it, yeah. So, Truebot, tell us, tell us your predictions for 2050. Okay, these are good. Number one, there's going to be more domesticated raccoons. They might even replace cats. I like cats, but raccoons are like cats, but chubbier and with little hands. <laughs> my, uh, my evidence and to this. Cats with little people hands. First of all, we now have a raccoon emoji just this year. We're moving quickly towards this. They don't take fall damage, just like cats. They're soft, they're cute, tiny hands, and also totally illegalists. <laughs> they steal things, they eat trash, they have, they wear masks, they're cool. Yeah, and they roll. They like roll around. It's cute. You ever seen a video of a raccoon roll around? I've seen, I've seen IRL raccoons roll around. Look it up. Happens. <laughs> I live in the woods. <laughs> Look it up on I've Yandex. I've seen a raccoon all around, but I've seen a raccoon fuck. Raccoon fuck. That's not true. Uh, prediction number two. China is going to uh, invade Tibet and or Taiwan. <laughs> <laughs> Why is that waiting until 2050? self-explanatory. <laughs> <laughs> These are predictions of things that will happen by 2050, not in the year 2050, uh, by the way. Oh, okay. Oh, raccoons fucking... Number three, raccoons audio will file will fuck. <laughs> <laughs> It just sounds like it. We have fun. <laughs> I didn't write number four. I don't know. <laughs> so I'm going to skip it. <laughs> Number five, Turkey is going to join the EU and leave NATO. Yeah. The EU will be the new NATO. And that's all I had to say. NATO will be the new (laughs) Turkey. NATO will invade Turkey after it leaves the NATO. (laughs) Audio file is already a slur. <laughs> well, that's all our notes. Yeah, we did We did well. Um, there's some links that Chloe said we should read that we didn't read, and we'll just leave those there. I read most of those. Um... Yeah, but you fucked up. Okay, yeah. so that was a... <laughs> you... Good Unlike episode, other everyone. podcasts, we don't like hold out till the end and then have an ending and like it's 
action-packed. We just trail off at the end. Oh, we should, we should, we should do an outro. Uh, follow our Twitter to our podcast. Listen to our podcast. Follow our Twitter. Uh, donate to our Patreon. Uh, follow me on Twitter at shitpostscarcity uh, for no eye and shit because uh, I'm cool. Um, yeah. Follow me on Twitter. Eat the rich and follow the recipe that I posted. <laughs> don't eat the rich uh, 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 um, the next episode is going to be about the Paris gone <laughs> <laughs> yep yep bye